With a career that has spanned over five decades, Alice Cooper, the godfather of shock rock, has experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, not only musically, but in his personal life as well. In this episode, we'll talk about his departure from music in the early 1980s and his triumphant return a few years later. So, stick around and we'll jump right into it. And welcome to my favorite retro. I'm Gunnar Clifton. Thank you for being with me. So, Alice Cooper's departure and return to rock and roll music in the early to mid-1980s. To get to where I want to go with this, we have to step back just a little bit, and that's going to take us back to the 1970s. Now, if you are a fan of his music, and you know anything about him at all, it is no secret that as his popularity and fame rose in the 1970s, he had developed a serious problem with alcohol, and in 1977, checked into rehab. After he got out of rehab that first time, things were good for quite a while. He used that experience to record new material. But then in the early 1980s, things got bad again. Really bad. Which led to the lost years and what Alice himself refers to as the Blackout albums. Albums that he claims he did not even remember recording at all. And they are, starting in 1980, Flush the Fashion, 1981 Special Forces, and this album was the last album that would have an accompanying tour until his return in 1986. Then in 1982, Zipper Catches Skin, and finally in 1983, Dada. And it was after the recording of Dada that it became apparent that alcohol was taking its toll on Alice once again to the point he was on death's door. He knew it. His friends and family knew it. So in the fall of that year, he went to rehab for the second and thankfully the final time. And after rehab, a clean and sober Alice Cooper had a lot of obstacles that he had to overcome. First of all, his health had been in such bad decline that it took a while for him to get himself back to where he needed to be health-wise. But also, he had to patch up the marriage that had almost ended in divorce between he and his wife. They took it to court but reconciled and got past that. But also, due to the fact that the last few Alice Cooper albums had been very experimental in nature and a departure from what the fans were used to and not backed by any tour since the Special Forces tour in 1981, the fanfare started to decline, album sales waned, and therefore he was released from his record label at Warner Brothers. And during that time, he worked on different musical projects and did a little bit of acting, but it wasn't until 1985 when he met a guitarist by the name of Kane Roberts that the wheels started to roll again a little bit. He and Roberts collaborated on enough material to record the album Constrictor, which was released by MCA Records on September the 22nd, 1986. And for the first time since 1981, this album would have a tour to back it up, appropriately called the Nightmare Returns Tour. The first show was on October the 20th, 1986 in Santa Barbara, California, and just a very short time later, it was recorded for a VHS release at Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, Michigan, on October the 30th and 31st. 
It was released sometime later and also released on DVD in 2006 with some special features. Constrictor was a worthy return to the music world by Alice Cooper and even spawned two singles. The first one being Teenage Frankenstein and the second He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask, which was the theme song for Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, which was released in 1986 as well. And though Constrictor is a fabulous album, to me it was merely the springboard of things that were to come. And so therefore, this isn't necessarily the album I want to focus on pertaining to his return to the world of shock rock. To me, 1987 would be the year that Alice Cooper would release one of the greatest albums of his entire career. So, hang around. So, 1987. By this point in time, Alice Cooper was back in full swing. Coming off the heels of the album Constrictor was now the album Raise Your Fist and Yell, which was released September the 5th of 1987, once again on MCA Records. This album is actually kind of two albums in one, side A being a rebellious type of, well, like the album says, Raise Your Fist and Yell, and side B becomes a concept album type idea. And I'll go deeper into that, but before... I get into the music and the songs on the album itself. I would like to talk about the personnel, the musicians on the album. First of all, on guitar, we have Kane Roberts. And this was the last album that he would play guitar on uh, for Alice. The second or the first one, excuse me, being uh, Constrictor the year before. But he did return in 1989 to play uh, guitar on the song Bed of Nails on the Trash album. Then on bass, we have Kip Winger, and this was his second and final album as well. And he went on to form his own band, and you can probably guess which band that is, Winger. Then on keyboards, we have Paul Taylor, and on drums, we have Ken K. Mary. And this was the only album that Ken K. Mary uh, played on for Alice Cooper, and these days he drums for the band Flotsam and Jetsam. A tour accompanied this album as well, and it was called the Live in the Flesh Tour. It started in October of 1987 and concluded in May of 1988. It was found controversial in some places, especially overseas in Europe, where it was insisted that parts of the stage show were trimmed down and in some parts of Europe, the tour was banned. Now, one must keep in mind that this was during the time in the 80s when the whole censorship thing was going on really big time with rock and roll music and horror movies. And Alice's stage show lent itself to the slasher films of that time. So with that said, let's go on to the track list. On side A... We have the song Freedom, which is the only single from the album, and it is full of that rock and roll angst. And it is in the course of that song where we get the lyric, Raise Your Fist and Yell. It comes from the song Freedom. Then on the second 
track of the record, we have the song Lock Me Up, which features a voiceover from Robert England at the very beginning of the song, where Constrictor had a tie-in to one horror movie franchise being Friday the 13th. This album, Raise Your Fist and Yell, has a tie-in to horror movies in two different songs. The first one being Lock Me Up, and we'll get to the other one here in a moment. Track number three is Give the Radio Back, which is kind of a call to arms. Like, hey, mom, dad, whatever. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Give the radio back. Then song number four on side A is Step on You. And it's kind of Alice saying, hey, look, I'm back. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Get out of my way. I'm going to step on you. I mean, plain and simple. It's pretty straightforward lyrically. And then the final track on side A is Not That Kind of Love, which is very simply just about a lustful relationship. Let's use each other and don't expect anything out of me because it's not going to be that kind of love. It's not a it's not a love song at all. Now, after the angst-fueled offerings of side A of this record, which every song is fantastic, we move on to side B where it takes... A much, much darker tone. And this kind of goes back to the Alice Cooper that we all were used to from the earlier albums of the 70s. More of the darkness and the macabre. And so side B starts off with the song Prince of Darkness. Now this is the second tie-in to the horror films of the 1980s because this song was featured in the John Carpenter film Prince of Darkness which was released in 1987. It's briefly used in, in the film. You can hear it through one of the victim's um, uh, headphones. The song is playing through his Walkman. And it just so happens that he is impelled with a bicycle by a vagrant played by Alice Cooper himself. So a nice little cameo of the song and Alice Cooper in the film and a pretty good horror movie if you're uh, if you want to sink your teeth into uh, some of the films of the 1980s, horror films that you may have not have seen, you should probably definitely check out Prince of Darkness. It It is a, a good film. Now, after that, that song doesn't really... It fits the darkness, no pun intended, of side B of the record, but it doesn't fit the actual concept, I feel, that side B is laying out. The rest of the songs on side B the remaining four songs, is where we start to really get into an actual piece of concept album, I believe. And the feel that we get from side B of the record, these remaining songs, is that it is following the cliche of a lot of the slasher films from the 1980s where you have somebody, a sociopath more or less, who is deranged out of his mind and is focused on a particular victim or type of victim and is evident in songs like Time to Kill followed with Chop Chop Chop. In those two songs we get the vibe of somebody who is walking the streets looking for a victim and in this case like it was in many of the slasher films of the of that time uh, it's a female victim or female victims that this supposed character is is after. What I find interesting when it comes to the song Gale after Chop, 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 the first two songs, uh, Time to Kill and Chop, 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 
are pretty much talking about this, this being out there and you know, I only have time to kill. That's not a play on words. Like, oh, well, I have time to kill today. No, he's talking about time to kill, like literally kill. And then chop, chop, chop. It's kind of like he's losing his mind more and more. The lyrics even say, I'm an engine of destruction. Chop, 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 a perfect killing machine. Things like that. Now we get to song nine, which is a song, Gale, and it's really slow. There's a lot of orchestration, a lot of organ playing and, and things like that and it's uh, it's a really dark song where the narrator or singer of the song is reminiscing over the place where a dead body is buried by you know of one of his victims but what's interesting about this song and I've never heard anybody talk about this maybe it's just one of those things that doesn't matter to a lot of people and not that it's an important thing anyway but I think the tie-in to talk about the psychology uh, maybe of, of the character who is the the antagonist of the concept side of this album is that at the end of Chop 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 he's talking about a victim he has singled out and says that she's wearing an anklet with a name and it's spelled M-A-R-Y but then when he says it out loud to himself he says Gail so it's pretty much as if he has this this hang up, this obsession with this Gail lady who maybe is somebody he was just obsessed with or somebody who did him wrong or whatever. So then we get into Gail and he's talking about this body that's buried somewhere and it's not over the top graphic, but it is very dark. But then we get to the final song, Roses on White Lace, which is the big shredder in the album. I mean, it's it's um, the guitar over the top of it is very heavy, very choppy, very fast. It's a cool little song, but this is what leads me to believe this whole thing about the tie-in with Gail and th- this antagonist seeing only this Gail in whatever victim he chooses because Roses on White Lace is just talking about taking a woman's life away on her wedding day. I won't go into the lyrics of this song specifically and in depth because these lyrics are very dark and very graphic. But all I can say is if it is keeping in tradition with the slasher films of that time period, it was a good way to end the album. And with all of that said, in just a moment I will reflect on the reason why that time period in Alice Cooper's career and those particular albums, especially Raise Your Fist and Yell, are on my list of some of my favorite retro albums. Growing up in the 80s and the 90s, Alice Cooper was a name that I heard a lot, but his music was never played in my parents' house. It was more the country music of the time and whatever hair metal that my brother who is seven years older than myself chose to play in the bedroom that we shared together and just so happens that he has never been an Alice Cooper fan himself. It wasn't until 1991 when my mother took me to the movie theater to see the film Wayne's World that I actually put two and two together about who Alice Cooper was. I had always known about the black eye makeup and things like that but he was the stuff of legends around my house 
But as soon as I saw his cameo performance doing uh, Feed My Frankenstein on Wayne's World, I was on the hook. So with the release of Constrictor and Raise Your Fist and Yell being just a few years prior to the release of Wayne's World, that is where I started, along with Hey Stupid because Feed My Frankenstein was on that album. And I fell in love with Constrictor and Raise Your Fist and Yell both. And then after that, I backtracked and got into the older part of the catalog. But I noticed a big difference. And perhaps it's the age difference, the generational difference between the Alice Cooper music of the 1970s and the Alice Cooper music of the 1980s. In my opinion, albums like Constrictor and Raise Your Fist and Yell were more aimed at the demographic of my generation, children of the early 80s and into the 90s. And so the more and more I listened to his music, both the older catalogs and the newer stuff coming out, I found a love and a place in my life for both sides of that coin. But it just so happened that albums like Constrictor and Raise Your Fist and Yell were speaking directly to my age group. Every song on Constrictor and Raise Your Fist and Yell spoke to me in some way. And so it was with those two albums in particular and in that point in time when he became one of my favorites ever. No longer was he some legend that I'd only heard about. He became a real driving force in my love for rock and roll music. And my generation almost did not get to have that Alice Cooper. The rock and roll world almost lost him altogether because of his struggles with alcohol addiction which thankfully he got over, but it almost took his life and he wasn't sure that he would ever be able to return to playing that character and being that character on stage again. But thankfully for us all, he did come back and he came back with a vengeance. And I know for a fact that my generation is grateful for that. And I have no doubt that there will be other generations to follow that will also be thankful that he stuck around. And that is all for this episode of My Favorite Retro. I'm Gunnar Clifton. Thank you so much for being with me. I hope you found this entertaining and insightful. And maybe if you've never checked out Alice Cooper before, it might give you a reason to now. And also, I urge you, no matter what age you are, go back in time. Find the things that are retro to you and expand upon them, remember them, and find a new love for them. Until next time, be well and take care.